for tuning in to episode 78 of Barbershop Sports Talk. Wherever you are, wherever you may be listening, whether it be via SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, WJCU, WCETFM, Radio Network on LateNightInTheMidlands.com. I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day. Host, Daryl Dominique Lane, as always, being recorded from Sunnyset Studios in uh, Murphy uh, Murphy Hall, University of Heights, Ohio, John Carroll University. Got a great show for you today. Going to have Chris Gasper on, uh, one of the leading uh, sports columnists for the Boston Globe. Oh, he's also the host of the Gasper Murray Show, a radio show in Boston, uh, Chris is a really interesting guy, has a lot of great stuff to say, we're going to talk a lot about the New England Patriots, and so that's going to be a really interesting conversation, alright, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, they won the Super Bowl this year, uh, and, so, and somewhat of surprising fashion, I mean, coming to the year, people, throughout the whole year, people were saying the best teams in the NFL, they mentioned the Chiefs, Saints, and they mentioned the Rams, and then the Patriots were kind of like that next team up, but the Patriots dominated that whole postseason, so I'm going to want to talk a lot with Chris about the New England Patriots season as a whole, so that will definitely be fun. March Madness time, right? And March Madness, right? I'm a college wrestler, too. I like wrestling, you know? You want to know how many times, you know, this kind of been frustrating, right? I'm sitting in my dorms, I'm, I'm watching I'm watching wrestling. Division One college wrestling. We have an open-door policy in our room. A lot of kids always come in the room because I'm always watching all these sports games, right? Basketball, football, uh, baseball, hockey, well, whatever. Uh, MMA, boxing, whatever. And I come in, and uh, I'm like, Sean, Sean's name, Sean. Sean comes in and Sean's like, damn, Daryl, you're, you're, well, why aren't you watching basketball? You're watching wrestling? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm watching wrestling, dude. Yeah. Then another kid, Joe Saber, comes on, uh, comes in the room and he's like, Daryl, I thought you would be watching basketball. Why are you watching wrestling? My roommate Ken comes in, Ken looks at me like he's shocked, he's like, Damn, Daryl, what are you watching? What the hell are you doing? And my other man, Randy's calling. I was like, what is going on? So everybody's looking at me like, what is going on? Why is there all this wrestling on? And I'm like, everybody's going to have to deal with it. Everybody from on that main TV, because we have a quad, right? Uh, four people, you know, right in the middle of my TV. For the next four days, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the, the main thing that will be on will be wrestling. It will not be basketball. It will not be March Madness. But don't worry, guys. I've been following March Madness on my laptop. I've been following March Madness on my laptop. But the main thing that will be watched on the main screen TV, it's in my room. That's all I can speak for in the common area. My room, it will be wrestling. And that's just the way it is. And that's just the way it's going to have to be. So, so this is my favorite time in sports. You know, wrestling's going on. You know, I love watching it, actually. That's probably my favorite sporting event. Maybe. Maybe that, the Super Bowl. Either or, but those are my two favorite sporting events. Uh, the NCAA tournament for March, uh, Madness Wrestling, Division One College Wrestling, and the Super Bowl. Those are probably my two favorite sporting events to watch. Uh, I also love March Madness, right? Uh, college kids playing against each other. Anything can happen. You know, the bracket bu busting going on. And by the way, right now I am number one in uh, one of my bracket groups, uh, JCU Buddies. JCU Buddies. Uh, about nine, ten kids in it. Uh, and it's uh, going very well. Uh, my stiffest competition is a friend of the show, Scotty, Scotty Johnson from the city. Scott, Scotty's number two right now. Scotty's really my toughest competition, and it's really funny. And, uh, I want to get this quick story out there. Right? And also another group with uh, Mr. Zach, uh, another guy that's supposed to come on the show a lot, another friend of the show. I'm second in his group, right? So I'm in killing it, kind of. But uh, Randon, when I asked Randon, because here was my suggestion for Randon, I was like, how about we put a little bit of money on it, right? And, you know, no, how about we have, you know, a little, little game, you know, ten, ten, ten bucks. Uh, we all put ten bucks in ten, you know, so it's around a hundred dollars, right? And whoever wins the bracket challenge gets a hundred dollars. And then Randon's like, Daryl, I think you're trying to play me. I think you're trying to play me, Daryl. I'm like, what? He's like, you're a sports guy. All you watch is sports. Every time I come in the room, you always watch something sports related. Are you trying to swindle me? I don't really watch sports. I just work out. Are you trying to swindle me? And I'm like, no, Brandon. It's NCAA basketball. Anything can happen. And I was like, the more you know about sports, I was like, actually, the more it hurts you because you think too much about it and you try to rationalize and analyze something. 
that, that you can't because it's unpredictable. You can't rationalize something that can't be rationalized, and that's kind of what, what March Madness is in basketball. You can't rationalize it. It's better, honestly, it's better if you don't know and you just pick which color you like. Probably a better chance of success. But well, what I've done, this is my formula, and I'll get into that really quickly, right? My formula has always been, since I know what's going on a little bit, I use my mind and I use guesses. I use educated guesses. I think, when would this upset happen, right? Because once we get towards like the final four, they're really the teams that are supposed to be there. But there's always that Loyola, Chicago, a Butler, a VCU that gets in the final four. So you pick that team, right? A lower seat. Then you pick, you know, what team has that veteran leadership? Which one seat aren't you sold on? That's kind of how I do it, you know. In the NCAA tournament, what matters is guard play, uh, coaching. So, so I'll pick a Michigan State to go far, right? I'll pick a Syracuse to go far, Duke, because you know, because of that, and that stuff matters. That stuff matters. So, so that's how I do it, and I'm winning right now. I don't know. Syracuse just lost, hurt me, but I'm still number one. Scotty is on my heels, though. Scotty's on my heels. Now, right, March Madness has been really exciting, right? Uh, basketball. Jay Morant uh, just let up. Uh, just let his team, just let Murray State over uh, Marquette, right? 12th seed blows out a 5th seed. Has a triple-double in the game, too. Zion, we know how spectacular Zion has been. These two guys are universally recognized. Probably they will be the number one and number two pick, respectively, in this com upcoming NBA draft. And there's a tweet put out by Bleacher Report, and it said, Imagine how good Jay Morin and Zion Williams are going to be during their senior years. I'm like, laugh out loud, because it's funny, because... When it is their senior years, technically, it will be their what? Third year in the NBA, right? Their third year in the NBA. They will never get to their senior years. They'll never get to their junior years. They'll never get to their sophomore years. Next year, Zion's playing with the Knicks. Maybe Jay Moore's playing with the Lakers or something. Who knows? Who knows? But you want to know what? You want to know what NCAA basketball needs to do? You want to know what will make NCAA basketball so much better? If they forced college basketball players to stay. You might say, oh my God, Daryl. That's so counterproductive. College athletes need to get paid. College athletes need to get paid. I'm not here to deny that. I do believe college athletes should be paid. Especially football and basketball players. I believe that with all my heart. But I'm talking about what is best for NCAA basketball. I'm talking about what's best for college basketball. Right now, I'm not talking about what's necessarily best for the kids in terms of monetizing themselves. So here's my idea, right? And, and this also goes into, we give kids an option too. Coming out of high school, you get the opportunity to go to the NBA. If you choose not, let me repeat that. If you choose not to go to the NBA, you have to stay in college for a minimum of two years. Minimum, right? Minimum, two years. Say, oh my God, that's unfair. No. You could have gone to the NBA right out of high school. And here's also what we're going to do to protect kids. Because everybody's like, we need to protect the kids. We need to protect the kids. They don't know better. We need to protect the kids. How about this? How about this one for you? Think about this. How about we do this, right? There's a lottery. There's a lottery. Top 15 picks, they go to the worst teams. A lottery. And... If you are not projected because there's agents, there, you know, there's feelers, uh, it happens in the NFL a lot, a player will know my second round or third round or fourth round or fifth round, right, et cetera, et cetera. High school players can take that out. They can have an agent. They can go through the process and they can get feelers out, you know, from GMs, uh, coaches, agents, et cetera, et cetera. And if they're not a lottery pick, which is top 15, they have to go to college. That's what you do to protect the kids. That's what you do to protect the kids. So Zion can go to the NBA. R.J. Barrett can go to the NBA. Cam Reddish can go to the NBA. Jay Moore can go to the NBA. Lonzo Ball can go to the NBA. Donovan Mitchell can go to the NBA. That's how all that will work. Right? In this scenario, the LeBron James, that special talent out of high school, can still go to the NBA. So so, so that that's what we're throwing to the college kids, the college and high school kids. Now, here's how it makes college basketball better. Spreads out the talent. Spreads out the talent. Right? Well, imagine. Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis. Norland's Noel and all those guys. They can't play for Kentucky. They go to different schools. Different schools get more recognition. Different schools get more money. More competitive. Big March Madness is competitive now. 
How about when we have more stars, more recognizable names, better players, and not only that, better basketball. My The biggest indictment, in my opinion, on college basketball, and this is why it's hard for me to watch college basketball sometimes. You want to know why? Because they're bad. It's not a good product. It is not a good product. I remember last year, I was watching Loyola Chicago in Michigan in the Final Four last year, and I'm like, damn, this is awful basketball. They can't shoot. There's no spacing. There's no cutting. It's just awful basketball. And it wasn't just good. It wasn't like people say, oh, my God, great defense, great defense. No, it was just awful offense. It was just awful offense. The passing, the shooting, and the dribbling just, you know, no, just went over everybody's head. It just went over everybody's head. So that's my biggest problem. Have better players. You know, the basketball is going to, the basketball play is going to increase. Have Alonzo stay an extra year. You have a Brandon Ingram stay an extra year. You have a Jason Tatum stay an extra year. The talent is just going to increase. It's just going to get better. Jason Tatum, and what would have been his sophomore year of college, took the Boston Celtics to the Eastern Conference Finals. Game 7. Almost beat LeBron James. Almost played in the NBA Finals. It would have been his sophomore year in college. His rookie year in the NBA. Right? Special. Spectacular. We could be seeing that. College football has the best model. You want to know why it's the best model? We get to know the stars. Atua. Remember Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray. So much buildup. It's not just Zion. It's not just Zion. We talk about Nick Bosa. We talk about Quentin Williams. Tua. Kyler. Like I said, we talk about all these guys. That's what makes college football so exciting. Fans. Gets to build up fan interest. You know the players. You build an attachment to them. That's all part of this. It's part of attachment. Fan engagement. This is why. And if you look at this too. When was college basketball at its finest? Duke. Christian Laidner. Bobby Hurley. Mike Krzyzewski. Right? Grant Hill. Three. Four. Two-year guys. In college. You got to know them. You hated them. But you got to know them. You got to develop, you got to develop your that animosity, that animus for Duke. That's how you got to develop. Because you got used to it. That's how you do it. That is how you do it. And that's why the NCAA, college basketball, and the NBA, they need to look at this, because I think this will be a good rule. Two years mandatory. If you forgo the NBA draft that out of high school, two years mandatory. NBA should think about it. Now coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Star, gonna have Chris Gasper. Sports columnist for the Boston Globe. Kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Chris Gasper with us, uh, columnist for the Boston Globe and uh, co-host of the Gasper Murray Show. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. How's it going? I'm doing great. Now, the first question I have to ask you is, right, uh, the Patriots, they, they won the Super Bowl this year. Uh, they beat the Rams 14-6, uh, to th- was it 14-6, I think, 14-6. Uh, you, you know, there was a lot, a lot of... 13-3. 14-3? Yeah. Okay. Who's counting? Okay, I, I, get, <laughs> I gave the Rams one more field goal. One more field goal. Uh, <laughs> one more, I gave the Rams one more field goal. But what do you think was the key to that Super Bowl run? Well, I mean, I think the key for them in a lot of ways was maximizing what their personnel was and what they had and sort of finding their identity, which is something I think that due to injuries and guys sort of being in and out of the lineup, whether it was suspensions like Julian Edelman's or Josh Gordon's, it was difficult for them to do sort of establish what their identity was. And I think what they did in the postseason was that, hey, you know, our offensive line is really, really good. And we have good running back depth. So let's challenge teams running the football, teams that are challenging us to be able to run because they think we're a passing team. Let's do that. And I thought everything sort of flowed off of that from the Patriots. A lot of play action passing there. Uh, I think that just the fact that they were able to enforce the threat of the run, make it a real threat, I think opened up a lot of things for them offensively throughout the playoffs. And then defensively, I think they had started to play better towards the end of the year. I mean, even though the loss to Pittsburgh, 
defensively, the team played pretty well in that game, and I think that they maximized one of their strengths on the, uh, of that side of the football, which was the back end, the secondary, with the safety play and the corners, and just having experienced guys, having smart guys throughout the entire defense, and they were able to make it harder for teams to decipher what they were doing defensively, use some teams up front in terms of protection schemes and take some guys away at times that were important to other teams. So, you know, I think really when you look at it, that the key there overall was just making the best of, of what they had, and, and nobody's better than Bill Belichick at doing that. No, 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 my next question for you would be this. Throughout the whole course of the NFL season uh, last year, I don't think at any point anybody necessarily said during the regular season the Patriots had the best team or the best roster. But once it got into the postseason, right, uh, they they destroy uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, just destroy them. Then they go to the AFC Championship game, you know, in Kansas City, in Arrowhead. And really, I mean, it was a close game at the end. But for the majority of that game, the, the Patriots uh, were shellaxing the Chiefs. And then we get to the Super Bowl, and the Patriots dominated. I know it was 14-3, to but the Patriots dominated the Rams. So really, I mean, they dominated the whole postseason. They were clearly the best the best team. How do you think Bill Belichick was able to mix all this together to be able to dominate talented team after talented team after talented team in the postseason? Yeah, there's a couple of factors. I mean, as much as the Patriots struggled at times by their standard last year in the regular season, they were still a very good home team. And so the Chargers had to come here... They had played the week before against the Ravens. You give Bill Belichick two weeks to sort of dissect the team, he's going to do it. And I also thought the Chargers really had a game plan that played right into the Patriots' hands on the defensive side. They came out, they were going to play a bunch of zone, and the Patriots were able to pick that apart, passing and still run the football. And then the Patriots got ahead. And once the Patriots get ahead of you at Gillette, that's a really tough place to play catch-up. That was that game. And I thought really... The masterpiece of the postseason was the game plan in Kansas City because their ability to run the ball, they set the tone with that first drive and having the ball for more than eight minutes. They just shortened the game. By the end, Patrick Mahomes was really productive and really lethal and putting points on the board, but he just didn't get as many chances right down to the coin toss in overtime. And that was smart because I think Belichick knew that his offense couldn't really match points per se in a shootout with Mahomes, maybe like they did back in the day with a Peyton Manning. And so they needed to sort of shorten the game to be able to do so, and they did. And then again, you look at the Rams game, they had an extra two weeks, or an extra week, I should say, so they had two weeks overall. I think they really did a great job of sort of dissecting the Rams and getting Jared Goff to a point where he was uncomfortable and not really sure what he was seeing. And you have to give the Rams some credit. I mean, they had a pretty good game plan on the defensive side to slow down the Patriots. But that Rams offense, one of the best offenses in the league, and that's the amazing thing to me, you know, that the Patriots took down two of the best offenses in the NFL in back-to-back games, taking down the Chiefs at Arrowhead and then the Rams in the Super Bowl. So you really just have to tip your cap. And, And I think it speaks to sort of the strength of their secondary Obviously, how good the game planning is, but give the players some credit too for being able to implement the game plan and having really smart guys with attention to detail who are able to take away things that teams want to do. And that's always a hallmark to Bill Belichick. He's not going to let you do what you do well. He's going to force you to try and do something else. And if you can't do that something else well, you're going to lose. Now, now you mentioned, you know, Bill Belichick, you know, trying to shorten the game, uh, more uh, power running, yeah. uh, more play action. Yeah. Do you do you think that is because you know Tom Brady he can no longer you know maybe like try to outgun a guy like Patrick Mahomes like he used to in his prime? But but do you think that's because we're starting to see a little bit of uh, deterioration from Tom Brady? No, I think it was more that was what their offensive personnel was suited to do, and I think a good chunk of the year they sort of thought that you know they wanted to do what they normally would do, which hey, let's spread these guys out and we're going to throw the football around. And I just don't think they had enough weapons to do that. It made a huge difference in the passing game in the postseason when Rob Gronkowski was healthy. But, you know, he wasn't really healthy a good chunk of the year. And he didn't really look like Rob Gronkowski a good chunk of the year. So I think that sort of hurt him. Losing Josh Gordon, you know, not having Edelman to start the year. They didn't get the seasons I think they expected to get from, from Chris Hogan. And I would go Philip Dorsett in there as well, although once Gordon went down, he played well. But the beginning of the year, when he was in a more featured role, he really didn't produce, I think, as they had hoped. So 
think they just sort of looked at it and said, well, what are the things that we do well? Now, look, maybe there's some decline in Tom's game. He certainly did not have the season he had the year before when he was the MVP of the league and led the league in passengers. There's no question about that. I think it's hard for me to look at it and say that's all due to age, though. I, I think a lot of that had to do with with what was around him and sort of a lack of not only weapons in the passing game, but really a lack of trust. Like, guys that they could look at and be like, this guy's going to get open. You know, there was a lot of scheming to get secondary guys open, to get the Hogan's and the Dorsett and the Cordell Patterson's open. There was a lot of guys in scheming it up by Josh McDaniels to get those guys open at times. So they were sort of limited, I think, in what they could do. And I think what any good coach will do is play to the strengths of the talent that he has. And I think they realized that their strength was, we have a really good offensive line. Don Richelle can run the ball. Burkett can run it. James White can run it and catch it. Our running backs are really good. You know, let's take advantage of that. And then we'll lean on Gronk and Edelman, two guys we know can get open in the passing game. Now, when you mentioned that, you know, that's something that Bill Belichick does better than any other coach in the NFL. Always adjusting to the talent on his roster, you know, what they can do best. But I, I don't necessarily think a lot of coaches in the NFL do that. I think lots of times coaches are like, you know, it's my system. If we're a passing team, we're going to pass. If we're a running team, we're going to pass. Uh, but Bill Belichick doesn't do that. It's always ever-evolving. It's always ever-changing. Where do you think that comes from with him? Well, I think that's just sort of Bill's philosophy, you know, over what will be, what, 45 years in the NFL now. And it probably goes back to his upbringing with his dad, um, the late Steve Belichick, his same scout at Navy, that if you can put the opponent in a position where they're uncomfortable, then you have an advantage. And in order to be able to do that, you can't be wedded to any one system because some system might match up really, really well with most of the teams, but not with this particular team you're playing this week and that's what the Patriots have always been under Belichick they've been a game plan specific team I think in some ways it's like you know a golfer right you know if you have every sort of um, club in your bag you know if you're a guy that has a really good short game uh, that's going to be a huge advantage for you you know if you're someone who can hit it long off the tee that's going to be an advantage if you can do all those things then depending on the course that you're playing it's a big advantage, and that's sort of like the Patriots, you know. Bill's somebody who is going to go into it and say, like, look at the Super Bowl, for example. The Patriots traditionally are not a team that's going to say, hey, let's just get up the field with our defensive linemen. We just want to get upfield and get in gaps and do that. It's really not what they do. You know, they're about being gap sound and sort of a little more like read and react there. But they look at what the Rams do and the way the Rams have their zone blocking run game and said, well, this is based on patience. This is based on time to see the hold. We need to take that time and space away, so we're going to switch up what we do, and we are going to attack. We are going to tell guys to get upfield at the snap against the run. I mean, that's completely antithetical to what they've done under Belichick since he's been here and his style of defense. And so to be able to do that, um, it throws the other team off, but also not every team can really change like that. There's a lot of teams that if they tried to change that much and go outside their comfort zone, it would be a disaster. But Belichick's able to pull it off, I think, with his experience and the, the idea that he can simplify it for the players. And Again, I think you also have to give credit to the players for being able to take something that is not traditionally what they've done and being able to implement. And I think part of that goes to the, the environment in Foxborough and also the types of players that the Patriots look for. They look for guys with high aptitude and guys that are willing to maybe change something up, change a technique, change a style for a specific game. Do you think that the Patriots get disrespected in terms of, when we talk about the Patriots, we're always like, you know, they're, they're just really smart, you know, they're, they're not really the most yeah. talented. But then you mentioned, like, their secondary is really, really good. Stephon yeah, Gilmore is yeah. really good. Like, they have a bunch of really good yeah. players on that team. So do you think they get disrespected in that way? In some ways, yes. In some ways, I mean, I think... You know, I can address that sort of two ways. Like, I think there's disrespect from the standpoint of not giving the players enough credit for being smart. Um, and, and, you know, I think sometimes in sports, like, smart becomes the code for something else. You know, certain players are smart and certain other players aren't, maybe based on their physical appearance or, or ethnicity, which I think is ridiculous. You know, Devin McCourty is one of the smartest players that I know. He also happens to be one of the the fastest guys on the field, as evidenced by all that next-gen stuff 
from this year. So you can be both. I don't think they got enough credit for the talent in the secondary. But overall, if I'm if I'm really being honest and consistent with my opinions on this team, having covered past Patriots teams, I did not think that this Patriots team was as talented as some of the past teams. So I think individual players, no question about it. Individual units, like the offensive line, excellent. The secondary, excellent. But I didn't think they had a great defensive line. I thought they were solid at the linebacker level with Van Noy and Hightower, but really outside of that, not much there. Wide receiver, Edelman is a great wide receiver. Gordon was tremendous when he played, but the overall depth wasn't good. So I think you can look at it sort of, you know, both ways. Um, there are some guys in the team that are tremendously talented. You mentioned that Gilmore, but overall as a team, I think their ability to bond together and to have the aptitude to be able to maximize that talent by doing what they need to do each week is what makes them special. Now, after the Patriots won the Super Bowl uh, and Julian Edelman got Super Bowl MVP, there was a lot of talk. Is is Julian Edelman going to be a Hall of Famer? I want to know what's your opinion on that. Do you think Julian Edelman will end up being in the Football Hall of Fame? I think he will, and I, and I think he should. You know, he's had a great career with the Patriots, and he's done so many different things. And when you're a part of a, of a dynasty like this, I think that you sort of get graded a little bit on 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 a scale that works in your favor. Um, he's put up great numbers, and, and I think what would work against him, probably people would say, well, okay, basically all the Patriots black guys have put up great numbers, going back to Troy Brown. And Jordan's numbers aren't really as good as what Russ Welfers were. But I think that there are intangibles that guys bring to the table outside of numbers. And Julian's numbers are really good. But he just, to me, in a lot of ways, embodies so much of what the Patriots have been about during this run. I mean, here's a guy who came into the league as a late-round pick, played quarterback at Kent State, seventh-round pick, wasn't a wide receiver, and made himself into, you know, the best slot receiver in the league. And, oh, by the way, during his career, he's returned punts. He's played on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, anything they've thrown touchdown pass, anything that they've needed to do, anything that they've needed to win, you know, he, he's done it. And so I think in a lot of ways, he sort of embodies the Patriot way, much like Troy Brown did, but I think he has a little more longevity than Troy had. So I would say that, you know, based on being on all these championship teams and what he's meant to the Patriots, that he's a guy that's going to get into the Hall of Fame. Now, I don't know how people will weigh the PED suspension that he had this year. I think you can look at that a couple of different ways. You could say, here's a guy coming back from a torn ACL, and he's trying to get back faster, and he's trying to make sure he can get back to the level of play he was before. It doesn't make it right. deserve the suspension. No question about it. But there might be some people that look at it and say, hey, this guy was you know, 5'9", 100 or nothing, came out of Kent State, lightly regarded. How do I know he hasn't been doing this his whole career? And so that could complicate things for Julian, the PD suspension. It doesn't seem to matter as much in football as it does in baseball, but I do wonder if his background will maybe get held against him and it will magnify the PD suspension and people will say, well, he must have been doing something all along to be this Cinderella story. Now, Rob Gronkowski, a lot of people have been talking about, is Rob Gronkowski going to retire? Is he going to play another year? What do you think? Do you think Rob Gronkowski is going to play another season with the Patriots? I don't know. It's such a tough read. I mean, honestly, going into the Super Bowl, day of the Super Bowl, I would have said win or lose, he's done. But the longer this thing goes, the more you get the feeling that he's trying to find a way to play, whether it's on a new contract, whether it's with the Willie McGinnis report, where he would just show up at some point during the season. It seems like maybe he wants to play one more season, but I think he still wants to do it on his terms. He, he doesn't want to put as much wear and tear on his body. He doesn't want to go through, or maybe I should say, doesn't want to go through an off-season program, a training camp, you know, that long, slow grind just to get to the game. Because his body's pretty beat up. And I think he's concerned about what his life's going to be like and what he'll be able to do post-football. I think he has post-football aspirations, whether it's wrestling or going to movies as an action star or whatever it is. And you know, I've spoken to someone close to him for the playoffs, and you know, we always talk so much about the eating he's taken, whether it's the forearm and the knee and all the other stuff, and he heard his blood in the Super Bowl. But they were mentioning, like, Rob has concern about concussion stuff and head injuries and the toll that that can take 
So I think this is a really interesting one. You know, honestly, I would have thought he would have retired by now. And so that's what's clouding it for me. The longer it goes, I feel like he's trying to find a way to play. Now, what was it like for, I know you don't know this because you're not him, but what do you think it was like physically for him to play? Because, you, you know, you mentioned like the injuries and he plays such a physical style of football. Yeah. Uh, I think it's taking its toll. And I think this year when he wasn't able to really be himself, I mean, he, you know, he dealt with injuries really all year long and nagging injuries. He had basically an Achilles injury that nagged him all year long and the back's always an issue for him and he wasn't as explosive. I think it takes not only a physical toll, but a mental toll. When you can't do things you're used to doing, it's not as much fun, and it's frustrating. And I think that frustration was evident for him most of the season. Luckily, he seemed to get healthier as the season got towards the end. You know, the one thing I would just caution Rob on, and, and I certainly wish him the best, is don't make a decision that, I don't want to say uninformed, but, but don't make a decision based on how you felt in the playoffs, because two of the three games you played, you had an extra week to get ready, and that's not going to be the case in the regular season. And, and that was really why it was so huge for the Patriots to get the bye, because he got an extra week of rest before they had to face the Chargers. Then you go to Kansas City, and he played really well in that game. And then you get another extra week. Now it's two weeks to play the Super Bowl, and they don't win that Super Bowl without him. I mean, he was huge. Uh, particularly in the fourth quarter on that lone touchdown drive. But he's not going to have that type of recovery time if he goes and plays another regular season. And I would really hate for him to sort of just be making his decision based on feeling really good at the end of the year. Well, of course you did, because two of the three games you played, you had an extra week. That's not the way it worked in the NFL for the 16-game, 17-week ride. Now, Tom Brady's not getting any older. He's 42. What do you think yep. are, what are the chances that the Patriots draft a quarterback in this draft, and draft a quarterback high? Well, you know, obviously, as he said, Brady will be 42 in August. Uh, the Patriots do have some ammunition here, six picks on the top of 101, uh, three third-round picks, two second-round picks, and their first-round pick. I don't think this is a great quarterback draft. My sense would be if the Patriots were going to draft a quarterback, it would maybe be in the second or third round if it was somebody that they like, say a Will Greer from West Virginia or maybe a Ryan Finley from NC State. My opinion, and I like Greer a lot, but my opinion is that I don't necessarily think the successor to Tom Brady is, is in this draft. Um, it, it, it might be something where they have to go through one more year and then try and do it next year in, in the 2020 draft, which I think will be a little deeper with quarterback. And I think what they might run into in this draft is that the guys they like, because there aren't a lot of guys in this draft, obviously Kyler Murray, uh, Dwayne Haskins, we'll see where Drew Locke goes. I think all those guys will go in the first round. But then after that, there could be like a rush. And you could have guys like Greer and Finley who maybe should be second, third round picks that end up getting taken at the end of the first round. And I don't see the Patriots taking a quarterback at the end of the first round. I just, I, I, I look, you never know what Bill Belichick's going to do. And if they like the guy and they identify him, then they'll do that if they believe in him. But, but I think given where they're at, and some of the other, some of the other needs they have, uh, a young quarterback to develop at this point is a little bit of a luxury. And you could also sort of take a swing. On the free agent market, who's to say that maybe a Blake Bortles or a Ryan Tannehill, given a second act in the NFL, can't be somebody that can be a potential successor to Brady? Now, do I think either of those guys could do it? No, I don't. But it's another way to sort of look at developing a quarterback. It's another option that's available to them. So we'll see. You know, I think Greer and Finley are guys to keep an eye on. And they certainly have the picks in the top 101 to be able to spend a pick on a quarterback. I just don't know how this job's going to go in terms of after the top two or three guys go, is there going to be some sort of mad rush? Are there going to be teams reaching for quarterbacks? And my gut feeling based on past drafts where you guys like, you know, EJ Manuel go really high, is that somebody's going to reach uh, once their preferred targets are gone, and then it becomes a mad dash, and, and, and that's not really something that the Patriots are going to play into. No, now, like I said, Tom Brady's not getting any younger. Uh, Bill Belichick's up there in age two. Uh, how long do you think both these guys are going to stay together, you know, and keep coaching and keep playing? Because, I mean, they won their sixth Super Bowl. I mean, they're going to go for it again. I mean, eventually, I mean, I guess you have to get tired of winning, you know? 
Yeah, I don't think these two guys who are hyper-competitive ever get tired of winning. You know, in the past, Bill's talked about, I'm not going to be Mark Levy, I'm not going to be out there when I'm 70 years old, but I think that's changed. I think he loved it too much. And now his kids are on the coaching staff, and I think he's been energized by it. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I now see him coaching, you know, into his 70s. I mean, he's 66, so he'll be 67 in April. So when I look at it, you know, I see him coaching another three, four, or five years. And I also think this is not something he's ever said, and I'm not sure it's something he'll ever say, but I do think he's intrigued by the challenge of trying to do it without Brady. So interestingly enough, like you mentioned, you know, how long do these guys want to do it? I think there's sort of this idea of, like, who can outlast whom, you know? Uh, can Bill, like, outlast Tom and then you know, show he can do it with another quarterback? Can can Brady show he can do it until he's 45 and not really give Bill that opportunity? So I think it's, it's interesting in that regard. You know, who, who's the guy that's going to outlast the other guy? Or do they just end up doing it together until Brady's like 45 years old and, and, and Bill's 70? You know, if my, if my money were on one guy, I'd say Belichick because he's the boss, you know? I think it's a little easier for him. And, and it's about, it's, it's more about his mental acuity than physical skills and for Tom there's going to be some physical decline I mean that's just that's just biology it's, it's unavoidable uh, I think he's been able to slow that probably more than anybody in NFL history but it's, it's inevitable so it'll be really interesting to see sort of how things play out I think we'll get a better signal of how that could play out based on how the Patriots treat Brady's contract because he has a really high cap hit 27 million excuse me for this upcoming year and the Patriots want to do an extension, and it would make sense to. to <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> it would make sense to change that that cap number. So I think the length of the deal and how they do it will play a big part in that. Uh, now, my last question for you, Chris, is. Uh... Where do you think this Patriots dynasty ranks all time? Like in sports in general, we talk about teams like the Murders Row Yankees, right? Or jo Michael Jordan's Bulls, or uh, this incarnation of the Alabama, Alabama for the totality. Nick Saban's been there. Where do you think this Patriots team ranks all time in terms of dominance in terms of a sports team? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I think it's a great question. It's interesting. It's hard to do because you have to take into account factors that don't exist. You know, for me. I'd probably put the Celtics at the top, the late 50s through 60s Celtics. I mean, winning eight championships in a row, 11 out of 13, uh, that's pretty incredible. Obviously, different times, different leagues, no free agency, but that's still tremendous. So I put them at the top, but I think you can certainly make a case at this point that the Patriots are the greatest NFL dynasty of all time, um, given what they're dealing with in terms of the amount of turnover every year with their players, I mean, that's not something, say, the Green Bay Packers had to deal with or the Pittsburgh Steelers or even the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, the, the bulk of their dynasty was pre-free agency, and so now it's in pre-salary cap. So now it's a salary cap and free agency. In a league that is rigged for parity, uh, the Patriots are defying that year after year. It's almost 20 years now, and I, I think that's really an incredible accomplishment. So... You know, it's hard to say, you know, murderers row Yankees, what the Yankees have done overall, obviously different time in baseball, and then you have to factor in championships that were won pre-integration, pre pre-Jackie Robinson, and that's one area where I would sort of dock them. But, but I definitely think when you look at it, for pro sports dynasties, I would say at this point, the Patriots have to be, you know, in the top three or four of all time. Chris, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Man, no problem. And kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to explain to you the one thing that made me realize things are turning in the AFC North. Kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. It's time to dim the lights and get prepared for the fight. I got some Jordans on my feet when I go step to the mic. I cannot name my opposition. I can say that I like. And if you step in my position, you would say that I'm right. I'm like Tyson in the booth, but I don't talk with a list. I see you trying to run your mouth. You look like Stephen A. Smith. I thank God the odds against me, but I'm coming out strong. I survived a heat check, but now I'm back like LeBron. Oh, oh we're back. 
back with Barbers Not Sports Talk. Once again, I want to thank Chris Gasper for coming on the show. I appreciate him spending some time out of his very busy schedule to come on. Always appreciate that. It was very helpful. Uh, really busy man, so I appreciate him spending some time out of his uh, very busy day to come on the podcast. Always appreciate that. Now, and uh, you know, I'll get more into this in the second hour, which will be on uh, WCTFM Radio Network uh, on LateNightInTheMidlands.com. In terms of you know Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors, because I, I think I have a kind of interesting theory on both of these two teams and why I think Golden State will win the championship and Boston won't. But you're gonna have to hold on for that for in, in the second hour. We'll probably talk about that at the uh, top of the second hour. Well, here's what I want to talk about, right? So St. Patrick's Day was last week, right? The biggest thing I realized, besides, you know, there are a lot of drunken idiots out there. Now, that's actually the thing I realized in life. Uh, you know, you know what? Because I, I was talking to a guy, uh, Nick Bonick. He always sits in the atrium at the school, and I was like, "Oh, so, so you know, what are you doing for St. Patrick's Day?" And he's like, "Oh, you know, I'm probably doing nothing." And I was like, "Oh, you're not?" And he's like, "Listen, man, if there's one thing I've learned in life, people are really freaking dumb." I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He said something else besides freaking, but he said people are really freaking dumb when they're drunk at night. But you know what, Daryl? They're even more stupid when they're drunk during the daytime. He's like, I don't even know. He's like, I might have to start fighting people. And you want to know what? Nick Bonick is right. People are crazy. I'm in, I, I'm literally in my room, but I hear people screaming. I'm walking around. Actually, I tore it up. I gave one of my mom's uh, colleagues, one of her uh, sons, one of her sons, uh, a, colleague of my mom, a colleague of my mother, one of her uh, children, uh, wanted to look at the school, so I gave him a tour. And while I was giving him a tour, you know the people I saw just decked out in green they just didn't look like they were necessarily in the mo in the right state of mind and it's like 12 a.m in the morning like literally 12 a.m in the morning i hear people blasting rap me like it's it, it was crazy it was crazy but the number one thing i learned when i was talking to people right you want to know what pittsburgh steelers fans because a lot of there's a huge pittsburgh contingent that goes to school here at john carroll pittsburgh steelers French are threatened by the cleveland browns Imagine how the world is turning. Could you imagine? A couple years ago, the Browns go 0-16. Right? They are literally the laughing stock. They're not called the Browns. People are calling them the clowns. People are calling them the clowns. Literally laughing stock of the NFL. Can't win a game. Hugh Jackson's a, a doofus. And now, people are saying, I heard somebody tell me they're Super Bowl contenders. I'm like, Laura, I'm like, chill. How about you guys worry about winning the division first, buddy? let's slow down. You know, you can't change the world in one day. But now Pittsburgh Steelers fronts are like, oh, we're not worried about the Browns. We're the most talented team in the division. We're the Steelers. We're the Steelers. And your two best players, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, left because they didn't like your Hall of Fame quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger. And your head coach, Mike Tomlin, couldn't seem to manage the three egos, which is why you guys, well, missed the playoffs, the same as the Cleveland Browns. And the Browns do have more talent off the bottom. But Pittsburgh Steelers fans are trying to argue with me. He's like, oh my God, we have Big Ben, Hall of Fame quarterback. Well, ben, Big Ben isn't necessarily playing at a Hall of Fame level right now. Uh, he's not playing bad like Eli Manning, but I don't think he's played at the level of a Tom Brady or a Drew Brees or even a Phillip Rivers has, uh, at least this year. And we're going to see what he can really do when he's without Antonio Brown, the best receiver in the NFL, and Le'Veon Bell, one of the best running backs in the NFL. We're going to see what Big Ben can really do. But but it just shows the tide of the turn. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, they are now threatened by the Browns. Imagine that. They're now threatened by the Browns. The Browns are becoming like a thing. On the D-line, Sheldon Richardson, on Miles Garrett, on receiving Odell Beckham, quarterback Baker, running back Kareem Hunt, not to mention they have a Duke Johnson and Bradley Chubb. Cleveland Browns are loaded. They have Denzel Ward at corner. The Cleveland Browns are loaded with talent. Loaded. Pittsburgh Steelers fans are like, hey, we, we, you know, we used to not care about the Browns. Like, <laughs> yeah, hell, yeah, Browns fans, only worried about the Ravens and only the Bengals and the only the Bengals in the regular season because you know the Bengals don't do anything in the playoffs. We're worried about the Ravens, right? That's our competition. That's the rivalry in the AFC North. No, the Browns, the, the Browns are, are are a thing now. It's a thing. Now, also, what I want to get to uh, on my Wednesday, actually, excuse me, my Thursday radio show, I had Silas Garrison on. Last week, Silas gave us some great testimony about the Russell Westbrook incident with the fan. If you guys haven't listened to that, you should check it out. Silas made some very powerful and poignant points that I think, you know, just does the world a whole good of justice. Silas is a football player at Allegheny State College. 
He also, um, I believe he's a civil rights lawyer, too, once he's majoring in being a civil rights lawyer. So Silas always has very interesting opinions on race and sports and just everything, right? So Silas really gets it, and Silas made some great some great points about Westbrook and that fan who allegedly made some racial comments. The fan said, uh, get on your knees like you're used to. But Silas also came on um, a couple days ago on the show, and Silas made a bunch of funny comments, so I want to play all these comments for you because these comments were too good just to go on the radio, disappear, and not be on the podcast. So here's the first one. I'm talking to Silas, right? And Silas takes a shot at Buffalo. Silas is from Buffalo. He's from Depew, New York. Silas takes a shot at the Buffalo Bills. He takes a shot at the Buffalo Bills. This is what Silas has to say. What's your opinion? Randall Cobb to the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, I want to say for this entire segment, uh, almost, uh, I'm going to be completely... Um, very frustrated and, and voice my frustration about the Bills. So, uh, Randall Cobb, number one, let's talk about it. Uh, perfect fighting for the Bills uh, didn't happen, um, but for the Cowboys, it makes complete sense. Uh, they just lost Cole Beasley, uh, an average wide receiver, which went to the Bills. Go figure. Um, and, yeah, now he's with uh, <clears throat> um, Dak Prescott. Silas throwing shots, the average white receiver. Silas, uh, he is right, Cole Beasley. He is right about Cole Beasley. Randall Cobb would have been a much better addition. Uh, Randall Cobb is much more athletic. I think he's a much, much better wide receiver in general. Uh, but, you know, that's Buffalo for you, so Silas had to stop it. Uh, to stop the conversation, Silas had to get that in there. Now, this is the next thing Silas said that I thought was funny. Blake Bortles is so bad, it's offensive. Silas about this is what I'd say about this. Uh, you, know, you know what? He, Nathan Peterman actually had a chance. Huh? Listen, everybody in Buffalo knows Nathan Peterman didn't have a damn chance in how. Nathan Peterman didn't have a chance of doing... I almost cursed. Oh my, excuse me. Nathan Peterman didn't have a chance of doing anything. Nathan Peterman never a chance of doing anything. Nathan Peterman was awful. He threw five picks against the Chargers last year. I remember that. I'm still having nightmares about that game. It was first ever start. Then he had his second ever start, I believe, against the when it was against the uh, who did they play? They played the um, Ravens and they got like torn a new one. It was like forty to three, and then I was like, okay, Nathan Peterman still sucks, but Blake Bortles, ah, <laughs> oh, Silas, Blake Bortles isn't quite that bad. But then it got better. Silas said, "Well, I guess Blake Bortles could be a good backup." <laughs> I love that. Silas. So Silas, can Blake Bortles be a good backup at least? Say it again. Can Blake Bortles be a good backup? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that he he will be very good at holding a clipboard. Uh, I think I think in a couple years from now, I would not be surprised if I see him sitting at ESPN, <laughs> analyzing, recruiting, maybe being a high school head coach. Yeah, absolutely. I love you, Silas. <laughs> Silas. Okay, Rip Blake Bortles, I guess. Okay, next up, what we have is. Blake Bortles' career is over, I guess. Uh, Blake Bortles can be a good backup. He's like, yeah, for a couple years, and then realize, hey, he's trash. Jared Goff ever gets hurt, we're going to be in some freaking trouble. Hey, ESPN's like, hey, maybe, maybe Blake Bortles can be the one to replace Jason Wynn. Blake Bortles can do a better job than Jason Wynn and Monday Night Football color commentator. Oh, he can be Tony Romo calling plays before it happens. Next career for Blake Bortles. Now... It's all on Big Ben Roethlisberger. This is when I talked to Silas about. Is it Ben's fault the season went awry for the Pittsburgh Steelers this year? This is what Silas had to say. So, no, absolutely not. 
my humble judgment, in my opinion, look, you call yourself the quarterback, you keep on calling yourself the captain, yet two of your best people that made you look good have been gone. Let's call it the facts. Le'Veon still looks great. Antonio Brown looks amazing. You're the one that looks like they're falling off, Ben Roethlisberger. You're the one. I can't tell. I don't know if he's been playing football, if he's been in the gym, or been sitting on the couch with me. I don't know. I can't figure it out. So you need to help me out on that. Silas makes a good point, actually. Uh, Big Ben might be interested in on the couch. If we, if we look at this throughout the to- totality, right? Uh, look at it, uh, the, the whole perspective, all the lenses, right? Le'Veon Bell's a unanimous top five running back. It's Le'Veon, it's Ezekiel Elliott, it's Todd Gurley, it's Kareem Hunt, uh, whoever else you want to put in there, right? Uh, Saquon Barkley, Saquon Barkley. Antonio Brown, top five wide receiver. It's A.B., a- a- Antonio Brown, Julio Jones... Odell Beckham Jr., DeAndre Hopkins, Tyreek Hill. Unanimous top five. Top five quarterbacks? Patrick Mahomes, right? Tom Brady, right? Drew Brees, right? I I would also say Jared Goff played at a higher level. Jared Goff. Cam Newton, I think, is better. Phillip Rivers is better. This is off the top of my head, just top, so just six names. This is off the top of my head, just six names. I think people take Carson Wentz over Ben Roethlisberger right now. So yeah, but Ben Roethlisberger, he's not at the level of a Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. And then Silas has to make fat jokes. Fat Ben Roethlisberger. You think Ben's just an awful leader and just like a bad person to be around. I mean, he, he ran out Antonio Brown. It sounds like Le'Veon wasn't too hot on him. He calls out Mike Tomlin. What's with Ben Roethlisberger and conflicted with everybody? You know what? Let's talk about Big Ben. Big, fat, chubby Ben. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Ben for a second. You know what? I've been saying this for weeks. Ben is the problem. You're the quarterback. Hey, we want to say Antonio Brown's a malcontent. We want to say Le'Veon Bell's a malcontent. We want to say they're both selfish. They're both me instead of we guys. Ben Roethlisberger is in their category. Ben Roethlisberger is a selfish Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. And you want to know what? Maybe we should hold Ben Roethlisberger to a higher standard. Pittsburgh Steelers GM Kevin Colbert tried to say, Ben Roethlisberger needs to act this way and call out people because he has children as teammates, right? Well, you want to know what? Ben Roethlisberger is the parent acting like a child too. (laughs) I I mean, if we're trying to hold Ben Roethlisberger to a higher standard, he's not upholding that high standard. And then this is the last, well, actually, no, this is the last one I'll give you. This is the last one I'll give you. What he said about Josh Rosen, and this one took the cake. This one was the creme de la creme. Josh Rosen is a disgrace. <laughs> okay? Let's, let, you know, let's just get this out there. Josh Rosen's a disgrace. And, and you know what? And the, and the worst part is, if you ever look at his face when he's playing, he knows it. He knows he's not good. He knows he's go- he knows he's washed up. He's not going to have a long career. I'm calling a Tebow on this man. That's right. I'm calling Tebow on this man. Look, Josh Rosen sucks. <laughs> if you look at his face, he know he sucks. Oh, oh my God, that's like, oh my God, that's like the classic in high school sports where you know the backup never gets in the game. He gets the game. He's like, damn, I'm in the game, but I suck. But I suck. I can't get embarrassed right now. I can't get embarrassed. Every, I do that dude on the football team. I'm not gonna mention names, but everybody do that dude when he got in the game. He's like, he's like, huh, 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 huh. Uh, uh, Silas, Silas was throwing shade. Silas was calling out people. Silas was taking bodies and taking names. Silas ain't care. I, I, I love having Silas on the show, but I had to give that to you guys. Now, coming up next, after the break, on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to tell you why Jay Morant, point guard out of Murray State, might be able to be drafted one rung higher. Cut him next, after the break, on Barbershop Sports Talk. with Barbershop Sports Talk. Closing out the first hour, the podcast version. You can catch the second hour on the WCET-FM radio network on Late Night in the Midlands. 
from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern. As always, it's on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. This one will be on the podcast, it'll be on Stitcher, it'll be on Apple, it'll be on iTunes, it'll be on SoundCloud, it'll be on Spotify, and it'll be on Google Podcasts, and it'll also be uh, right now on WJCU, 7.30 to 8.30 a.m. in the morning, right, John Carroll University Radio Station. But the second hour will be on WCET FM Radio Network on LateNightInTheMidlands.com exclusively. So if you want to listen, you want to hear my take on both the Boston Celtics and Golden State Warriors, and why I think they're going in different directions once we get into the postseason, right? Like, I think it's like 20 games left till it's uh, NBA basketball time. So if you want to hear that take, you're going to have to listen to the second hour and you can uh, go and hop on the WCTFM radio network around 2 o'clock and listen to the second hour. Or you can listen to the beginning of the show again at 1, at 1 p.m. Eastern time, right? And I decided, you know, because I, I just, I couldn't help myself. I decided, we need more Silas! This is my last Silas uh, cut from the interview I had with Silas a couple days ago. This one wasn't as funny, but this one was just interesting, too. And this one tickled me, so I'm going to play this. Uh, who, who would you take? Would you take Dak Prescott or Baker Mayfield? Who would I take? Yeah. That's tough. Uh, Are you serious? Probably Baker. Ba- uh, well, uh, there's something about Dak, man, that I just like. Uh, Baker. Baker's bad. He's more talented. Yeah, I was about to say, on, on Dak's best day, he, he can't look like Baker Mayfield. In my opinion, I, I don't even think it's close. You see Silas' reaction when I was like, I, you know, I like Dak. He's like, what the hell are you talking about, Daryl? What did you talk about? Because me and Silas actually, before we did that show, me and Silas really had a conversation. I think it was that week about how journalists don't know about football and they don't know about sports. Silas was really hampering on, like, getting at me about that. He wasn't saying me specifically, but he was talking about people he listens to. He doesn't like certain people in the media who always criticize athletes when he thinks they've never played the game. And he thinks a lot of them don't know anything about the game. So what I said, he's like, Dak or Baker? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, I like Dak. So I was like, Daryl, I thought you was one of the good ones. I thought you were one of the ones that knew what the hell you were talking about. And then I ended up saying Baker. Baker's actually, I, I do like Dak's leadership skills. I think Dak can win in the NFL. And I'll say this. Baker had a maker feel, Baker Mayfield had an historic rookie season. But people forget, Dak Prescott had an historic rookie season as well. Dallas Cowboys went 13-3. The Dallas Cowboys were the number one seat in the NFC. After going 4-12 the year before, he came in as the backup quarterback, won the starting job. So what Dak did was special, and it was impressive. And I think he only had like three interceptions that year. He didn't turn the ball over. Had an historic season that way. So so Dak is special, and Dak, and Dak can win games in this league. Dak, can, Dak Prescott can win games in this league. Game manager or not, Dak Prescott can win you games. But Baker Mayfield's a more talented receiver throwing, I mean a more talented quarterback throwing the football, obviously. I mean, Baker, Baker can do special things with his arm. Special things. Now, Jay Morant, Murray State point guard. 17 points. Let me get the stat line up right here for you. 17 points he had. He had 16 rebounds. No, excuse me. 17 points, 16 assists, 11 rebounds. Murray State blows out Marquette. Other guards who had big in-state tournaments. Kimball Walker, Steph Curry come to mind. Shabazz Napier, but Shabazz Napier didn't have much NBA success. You want to know what? Maybe Jay Moore, if he continues this this level of play, gets the team to the Final Four, we see what he can do. Maybe should he be picked over Zion? I know Zion's explosive. Zion's the sexy thing that we all want. The dunks, the hype. Let me just preface this. Zion Williams, to me, reminds me a lot of Blake Griffin. Right now, I think he's going to be better than Blake Griffin. I think he's a way better weak side help defender uh, than Blake Griffin ever was. And I think he's more athletically explosive than Blake Griffin was, as amazing as that is. But who else was in that draft class, that 2009 draft class? Steph freaking Curry, that point guard. All I'm going to say is, whoever gets the number one pick, watch out. Watch closely, everybody, when you watch this NCAA tournament and think, who's going to be better? Because this is going to end up being closer than a lot of people think. Jay Warren is special. He's a special guard. And guards win in this league. You need guys that can handle the ball. Zion's not handling the ball. Zion will not bring the ball to court. Jay Warren, look. That's my last take. Remember when I catch... My take on 
Boston Celtics, Golden State Warriors, listen to the second hour, WCTFM Radio Network on LateNightInTheMidlands.com. Also, we're going to have Joe Sabic on the second hour. We're going to talk to Joe Sabic about why are Steelers fans threatened about the Browns? Like, what is this? What is it about the Brownies? Thank you for listening to the 78th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk on WJCU.